listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Ooh, no better intro to today's sermon than, than a song like that. Let's pray. Father, we are about to open up your word, and your word is truth. It's, uh, it's straight from you, and we know that it pierces through uh, bone, marrow. It gets into our souls. So, Father, now as we open up your word, may you speak. May your power go to work. Uh, may you do something great in each and every one of our lives today. We give you praise. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has given us life. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. I want to jump right into this today because I believe that what we have to talk about today, what Jesus is going to show us through this text, is, um, is one of the most important uh, messages uh, that Christ has for each and every one of us. Uh, to understand this, we have to under- understand where we've been coming from, what we've been digging through. If you uh, maybe are, are new here to Century, maybe you're tuning in for the first time, we've been slowly walking through, meticulously walking through the book of Matthew to learn how we can be disciples and disciple makers of Jesus because it's the number one thing that he's called us to do, is to go and to make disciples. And so we are studying and looking at the greatest disciple maker of all time and saying, so what about us? And so often in what he's teaching us, it says that, that to follow Christ, to be more like Christ, which is what we desire to do every day, is there are things in our lives that we need to have revealed, changed, and even, as we'll talk about today, let go of. And so Matthew 18, Jesus has been having this conversation that's been a little bit of a reprimand of his disciples because uh, he is now, they're, they're on a, a, a journey to the city of Jerusalem where Jesus is going to lay down his life. As a sacrifice uh, for each and every one of us, for our sins, sent by the Father uh, to live on this earth in His uh, perfect humanity, He would then uh, offer Himself as uh, the sacrifice for our sins. So the disciples are having this conversation one day. They're arguing, actually. Jesus says, what are you arguing about? And they say, well, well, you know, we kind of hate to tell you this, but we're arguing about who's the best disciple, really. Uh, in, in the time to come, when you take your throne, really, who would who, you, you say is going to be your right-hand man? Uh, and, and Jesus is, he's, sees it as opportunity, obviously, to teach them a much bigger lesson. And so he starts by, uh, like Jesus usually does, he has this, this uh, il- object illustration, and that object is a small child. And he says, unless you become like this child, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about Humility, because that's where salvation begins. When we understand who Jesus is and what it is that he's done and takes all of our sin and the punishment and the wrath of God upon himself and takes it away from us, it should, it should drop us to our knees before that cross and say, I cannot believe you would do this for me. Instead of, oh yeah, I, why wouldn't you? Do you know me? Right? I mean, that's, we humble ourselves. That's where it begins. And Humility, that's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, so as a disciple, live with humility. And then it begins, he begins a greater discourse on relationships in the body of Christ, those that are followers of him. And he says, if anybody anybody causes one of these little ones, not just children, but maybe those that are growing in the faith, maybe those that are questioning, that are young in the body of Christ, and it's all about discipleship, that those that are mature come alongside those that are spiritually immature, and we, we walk together until the day of Christ's return, that we can be more and more like him. We have a responsibility 
to help speak into each other's lives and to set an example for one another. And so we talk about that here at Century a lot, that a disciple of Jesus Christ lives in community. You don't just show up to stuff, but that we as the body of Christ, we have deep relationships as believers. It's the the greatest thing that we have in common is Jesus. And so he says, if anybody causes one of these little ones to stumble, they'll fall away from the faith because you've treated each other poorly and shame on you. And he uses this uh, kind of grotesque illustration. It's better to have a millstone thrown around your neck. He takes it serious. And, and then he says, don't despise anybody because they're young or spiritually immature. Don't look down on them. Don't think that because, because you've been following Christ for a long time or that you've got all of Scripture memorized, or that you go to all of these, whatever, Sunday school classes, Bible studies, uh, you watch a, a lot of a video preachers and podcasts, that you in some way are better than them. Walk alongside them. Don't look down on them. And then he goes into this, uh, another parable about, uh, about lost sheep says you do whatever it takes to, to grab a hold of, uh, of those that are wandering away and you bring them back. Because that's what, again, that's what Jesus has done for you. And then as we uh, looked at it last week, Jesus knows, because I know you have questions, so what happens if somebody does wrong someone? What happens if somebody does look down upon them? He says, well, in the body of Christ, you've got to make it right. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we make it right if somebody wrongs you? And, and Jesus said, well, you, and we all struggle with this. We talked about this. But it says, first of all, you go to them and you, and you show them their sin. You tell them, man, you, you've, you've sinned against me and, and for the sake of your soul. right? So we don't do it out of power or pride or, or getting to lord it over somebody. We're like, hey, for the sake of this has, this has the potential of threatening our relationship and community, and your relationship with God. And so, so I'm just letting you know that I feel like you've sinned against me. And it says, Jesus said, and if they don't listen to you, go and get somebody else, and then you come together and you meet with them again. And if that doesn't work, then you go before uh, the larger body, the church. And, and if that doesn't work, then Jesus says, then you, then you treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile. And again, reminder, the, the idea is, is that we should be such a community and a body of Christ. People should love being a part of the larger body of Christ. And we, just for today, we could say even Century Baptists or the, the, the evangelical community, the Christian community in Bismarck, we should love it so much that even the thought and the threat of, of being, of being uh, reprimanded in this way that we're removed from the body of Christ would, would make somebody fall to their knees, repent, and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, but I can't live without you. That, that's the idea. So we get to today's text where uh, Peter sees an opportunity to kind of once again, like, well, I'm, I want to get back to what we talked about. Who's the greatest, really, in, uh, for us as disciples? And so, so he asks the question, hey, Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody that wrongs us? And, and he says, uh, seven times? And, and Jesus' response is one that we know well. Jesus said, I didn't say seven. But I say 70 times 7. Some translations say 77 times. And I want to get to that, but uh, I want to read a, a parable for you. But now let's just talk about that, that small interaction between Peter and Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. It's in verse 21. Uh, and, um, and so this is what, uh, this is, I, I want to just repeat what I said because I know that God's Word itself has enough power to do the work, much more than, than me speaking it. 
And so let me just read for you the beginning of this, and then we'll come back and we're going to read the longer text of the parable of the unforgiving servant. But Peter came and said to Jesus, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, that we're supposed to forgive someone. What is forgiveness? I believe that today can be the day, and I will get to this at the end, extremely significant, that we can let God do a work so that we can finally let go of the stuff we've been holding against people that's been eating at our hearts and been destroying relationships for so long. But let's talk about what forgiveness is. Peter says, how how many times am I going to let a brother sin against me and I keep forgiving him? We all have that question. How long is this going to go on before I can finally let go of this thing that's killing us and that's eating away at me? Or more importantly, we always say, God, how long are you going to let this person do this to me before you do something about it and take them out? Right? That's, that's ultimately how we feel. The word forgive that Jesus uses in this, Matthew has been translated into forgive, means to leave behind means to let go, and it pertains to a debt that is owed to you. So forgiveness is, is writing off the debt. Forgiveness is saying, you know what, I'm going to stop expecting that you and, and believing that you owe me anything. I, I'm going to absorb the debt myself. We'll see that in this parable that, that Jesus will give. You owe me nothing. Ephesians 2.8 says that grace is a free gift. That, it, that, that by nothing that we have done, that God has given us mercy and grace and that our sins are forgiven, that he gave his son. Not because we're special, not because we work hard for it. It is a free gift because God is God and he knows that we need it. Because we owe him an immeasurable amount of debt because of our sins to a holy God. Unforgiveness then, we have to take a look at that, is basically then it's the opposite. It's holding a debt over somebody. It's expecting them to repay you for what it is that they, what you believe that they owe you. Well, an apology in the least. But for, for because of, of our humanness, we always think it's got to be a lot more. They, they, have to, they have to suffer the same amount of pain that they've caused me. And I'm, I'm not going to do anything about it until, until they do because to let it go, because some people, your minds are already going. To let it go means they win. And, and I'm not going to let them win. They've got to they've suffer. They've got to face the consequences. The problem is, and we all know this, the problem with a scale like that, well, one, oftentimes the person who's wronged you, many times doesn't even know that they've wronged you. So they're not even thinking about it. So well, I'm not going to be friends with them anymore. And they're like, well, I don't care. Right? You're... I don't like you anymore anyway for the way that you treat me. They're okay with it. And it just makes us more angry. And, and unforgiveness destroys us much more than it does the person that we're trying to get even with, I guess, if you want to use that term. There's no amount of repayment that can match, really, the hurt of having a friend sin against you. But for some reason, we just sit around and we wait for it to happen. And if it doesn't happen... We beg God for, you know, when are you going to do something about that person? Forgiveness is laying down the right to be repaid. That's where it begins. 
In doing so, what we're really doing is we're surrendering the power to God and, and saying, God, do a work in my heart that I, could, that I would be able to let this go. The best description I've heard is that unforgiveness is self-focused. Forgiveness is us-focused, which is what Christ is calling us to, building up the community, the body of Christ as we live in this life together. Unforgiveness is about the preservation of self. It's selfish. Forgiveness is preservation of a Christ-focused relationship. Let me tell you this too, because I know that minds are spinning because I'm a pastor and, and probably the number one conversation that I have with people is about this. And so many people are under this belief that or forgiveness is weakness. They win. If I forgive, they're not going to face the consequences of what they've done and they need to do it. But let me tell you, you are not God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's the one that, that, that deals out wrath and he deals out judgment and the punishment for sin. We don't get the permission to do that. We have no authority and no power to do it. Jesus said, you go to someone and you show them your sin or show them their sin and, and that alone should call them to repentance. But, but if they refuse it, then it's, it's all up to God and he's going to take care of it. But we need to trust him for that. But it's not weakness, and it's not letting the other person win. Sin will face consequences, every one of them. Unforgiveness is letting the enemy win. It's letting him rule in your heart. Forgiveness is elevating the power of Christ above the situation and above me, above the, the person that has wronged me, and letting Christ be made known. He wins. When it comes to forgiveness. Romans 12 says, don't avenge yourselves. Whatever that looks like. Let God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And, and you know what follows that? It says, so if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If somebody who's wronged you is thirsty, give them something to drink. Overcome evil, it says, with good. And the best good that we can do in this situation is to say, I forgive you as hard as it might seem well peter extends this question how often should i forgive and jesus basically says you need to have a lifetime of grace with people because you're all human we all need it and we all need to extend it how many times should i forgive jesus seven jesus had already kind of explained because in the ancient jewish culture at the time the pharisees the rabbis they would teach that that you should forgive three times. We, we see it kind of in the way that Jesus explained it. Go in, uh, first of all, by yourself, and then go with others, and then go before the larger church. And then if that doesn't work, then it's kind of this, it's this separate yourself from them. It was also a belief of the day that, um, that you would uh, ask for forgiveness three times, and if somebody refused to accept it, then you were automatically forgiven. Three times was, was all that was needed. So Peter comes along, and he's just going to show that he's a really great follower of Jesus. How many times? Seven? Because seven was the number of completion, really. But he was just basically just doubling it, adding another one, saying, I know the real answer, right? Because I know Jesus. Every time I ask you a question, and it's always not my answer, so I'm going to make it even better. Seven times. And Jesus comes back like, nope, sorry. Seventy times seven. Uh, and it, Jesus isn't saying the 491st time that you've, 
that you then have permission to not forgive. That's what he's saying is that the, the, the number, it doesn't matter. You just never stop forgiving people. Now, there's wisdom in if they continue to hurt you, and especially, and I know this, I don't make light of this, and so I understand there's a lot of people in the room today that, that the things that, that are harboring in your heart of unforgiveness stem from, uh, from deep, deep pain. It's not that somebody's gossiped about you or, or somebody said something, who said something, who said something, but, but for many people, in, I mean, just statistically in a room like this, there's been physical abuse and, 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 and even worse. And you're just like, I wish that I could let this go. But I don't know how to because of the pain. Forgiveness isn't giving uh, the okay for what it is that they've done. And forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. That you just go step right back into that relationship where you just continue to get uh, hurt physically, emotionally. There's wisdom in all of this. Scripture, the entirety of Scripture talks about this. But forgiveness is deep within the heart of being able to let go of the control that that situation has on you and for the sake of the soul of that person that, that you forgive them. So the teachers of the day said three times. Jesus says, I'm telling you 70 times seven. So often we measure forgiveness based on the weight of that sin. Well, well I can't forgive easily because of the pain that it's caused. Big sins... We give little grace. Little sins, ah, we can give a lot of grace. Jesus says, forgive. Romans 5.8 is the reminder to us that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Even though he knew, not only while you're sinning, you've done nothing, I will give my life up for you. Even though I've done nothing wrong, you have wronged me, you've offended uh, God the, the Father endlessly every day. I'm still going to come. And, and even Jesus knew that you'd still continue to. That we would still continue to sin. Even after our own salvation. He says, but we've got to work it out. And remember, Christ on the cross, your sin's forgiven. Let the shame and the guilt go and stop trying to put it on to others as well. We didn't deserve God's Rescue is grace, is mercy, is forgiveness. But we're covered in that grace, and he calls us to live it out in the lives of others. But to get a real grasp, I find this really interesting. There are two times in Scripture where this, this uh, term, or these numbers, 70 times 7, show up. One is here in Jesus' teaching, the other is in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, and uh, Genesis chapter 4, uh, there are these two young men, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. And uh, they bring their sacrifices to God. Abel uh, brings the, uh, the best of the best as an offering to God. And it says that God uh, accepts it and blesses it. Cain keeps the best for himself, and he just brings kind of, you know, I guess this is the stuff that I, that I, that I don't want to eat right out of his, you know, garden. And it says that God doesn't accept it, that God's not pleased with that offering because God wants all of us. He wants our best. And, um, and so Cain uh, gets really upset with his brother. And God knows it. And so God comes to Cain and he says, man, you better get control of your emotions and your anger because that sin is going to rise up in you and you're going to do something foolish. And there are consequences to it. 
Cain doesn't listen to God. What does he do? He kills his brother because of his jealousy and his anger. Chapter 4 then begins to give us the the genealogy of of Cain. And it goes down five generations and leads to a man. His name is Lamech. And it doesn't tell us a lot about Lamech other than one day he's sitting with his wives and he's boasting, he's bragging to his wives. He says, I killed a man for talking poorly about me. And I killed a boy because he hit me. And he says, if Cain's, uh, uh, if the avenging of Cain is seven times, because what happened is that when Cain was punished by God for killing his brother, God sends him away and says, for the rest of your life, you will be a wanderer. And you're going to work the ground and you're going to work it hard and nothing is going to grow. In other words, you're going to have a miserable life and you're going to do it alone. You're out of community and you're going to wander and it's going to be painful. And Cain begs for God's mercy. He says, don't send me out there alone. There's people out there that that will kill me. And he says, I'll put a mark on you. And if people see that mark, they will know that if they touch you, if they do anything to you, that I will avenge your death seven times. That's the punishment that they're going to face. Well, Lamech is is bragging uh, about his killing really for no reason. His pride is now rising. He mentions nothing about God. What he says is, if anybody tries to hurt me, if Cain's, if the avenging of Cain is sevenfold, mine will be 70 times seven. That's what somebody's going to face for coming after me. It's this idea of when, uh, when we remove God from the picture, when we allow ourselves to be the center of all things, and we do what we feel, whatever we can, then we have the right to just take everybody out. So you fast forward, when Jesus is talking about 70 times 7, you know that this story would click in the minds of the disciples. 70 times 7, that's like the avenging of, of, of Lamech. But that story is about pride and removing God from the situation. And Jesus, like he always does, he flips it upside down. He says, I want you to forgive, not avenge. I don't want you to avenge strongly. I want you to forgive greatly. 70 times 7. Don't be like Lamech. Don't let your pride grow. Be humble. Vengeance isn't ours. Our role is that we are the sons of God. We're not the sons of Adam. Ephesians 4, 31-32 says, Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all brawling. Get rid of all slander. Get rid of every form of malice. In other words, Jesus says, get on it. God's like, you could, in my people, my expectation is you have to do whatever it takes to get rid of all of this. And we know that unforgiveness in our hearts is, is the start of, of all of these things. If you know somebody who, who just, it's hard to, to like them. You have to love them. Really hard to like them because they seem to live with just this bitterness. They're, they're mad all the time. Anger, uh, slander, malice. Chances are very, very good that, they're, that the, at the root of it all is that they are the way they are because they can't let go of something. We, as followers of Christ, should speak into that every day. Remind people of who Jesus is. And we, as followers of Christ, there's no room for it in our hearts. Verse 32 of Ephesians 4 says, Be kind and compassionate to each other and forgive each other. And this is most important. Just like through Christ, God forgave you. 
That's why we forgive. Because Jesus commanded it. And because he came for it. He gave up his life for it. And, and our eternity is at stake. Let me read for you the, the, the parable that Jesus gives. He says, if, you, if, you, if you're having a hard time thinking through your mind that you should forgive 70 times 7, Jesus says, let me just put it in perspective for you. And he gives this, uh, this parable. So if you would, let's stand together because these are the words of Jesus. And I hope these are more powerful for you than the words that I have to give you in the next 14 minutes. You laugh because you don't believe me. All right. Therefore, the, at least that I'm going to finish in 14 minutes, that part. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be, cared, be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant fell on his knees and he implored him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, began to choke him and he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went They reported to their master all that had taken place. And the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those are the words of Jesus. You could have a seat. Let's just wrap this up. Just summarize this parable and say, so what, God? What is it that you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to be? Jesus tells the parable to drive it home. He says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to. We've talked about this a lot. Jesus said it a lot because when he came, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that I'm king of the here and now. This is my kingdom and these are my expectations for my people on how you will live today. Not someday, today. This is what the kingdom of heaven needs to be. And what he's saying is that uh, endless forgiveness, grace and mercy that you extend to each other. And so he says it's like a king. That's him who came to settle his debts with his servants, which was typical of the day. When we think of slavery, read about slavery in Scripture, we we oftentimes, just in our Western culture and how young we are as a country, we just instantly go to people who who should never have been put in that position. But when it came to servants and slaves in Jesus' day, you would do it voluntarily because you needed money. And so what you would do is that you would go to someone who had wealth and you would say, what do I need? I, you know, whatever it is, I need to build a house or I need some land. I need to take care to feed my family. What do I need to do for you in order for you to give me money so that I can take care of it? And I will work for you as long as it takes to pay this off. And so he was indebted to this king, uh, as Jesus just says in the story, 10,000 talents. Now, one talent uh, in, in those days, it was, it was a, a weight, but it was basically uh, measured up to 20 years' wages, one talent. So this guy owed the king 10,000 talents. 
In other words, I just I did some basic math. I said, I have to say the average person makes like 75000 a year is $15 billion. In other words, uh, there's no way in the world this guy is ever going to pay off this debt. Billions, trillions, whatever it is. It, it's just, it's, it's immeasurable. There's nothing he could do to ever be able to take care of it. So the king ordered, it was time, hey, there's a time that comes that, that you have to give an account for what it is that you owe. And he ordered that his servant, his entire family be sold until they pay it back, which was impossible. It was never going to happen. Not just him, but his entire family's life was in danger. There's so much spiritual application that we could just pull this apart and, and dig into it. But he begged for mercy. He, he pleaded. And what did he say? Have patience with me. I'll pay you back. No, you won't, right? But it's impossible. But I think that what Jesus wants us to know, too, is that, that we do the same. We try to bargain with God all the time. When it comes time to, uh, to pay up for, for, for our sin, and God expects nothing but the best, holiness, and we can't pay it. It's immeasurable. We can't pay it back, but, like, but just be patient with me. I'm going to give it a whirl. I promise God. I'll, I'll go to church more. Right? I'll treat people better. I'll go serve in all of these different areas. I'll even go to the other side of the world and live if you want, if you just, if you, if you just save me. It doesn't work that way. We cannot pay the debt that we owe God because of our unholiness and His holiness. Our sin is much too great. But He begged, in, he, he went before the king and He begged. Will you show mercy? And it says that the king showed compassion. It was out of his own heart, and he forgave the debt. He, he, he didn't just let it go. What did he do? He absorbed it himself. Jesus Christ came to this earth, and he took all of our sin upon himself. He absorbed all of our debt upon the weight of his own shoulders, and he went to the cross, and he went to, the de- to his death, and he went to the grave, for us, and, and we, our, our sins are forgiven. We repent, we acknowledge what it is that He's done, and we are seen before the Father in heaven. We're justified. The punishment is, is no longer ours to have to face. That, that's the beginning and what it is that we are to understand. The servant then, in his freedom, off he goes, and, and, and he's like, well, I, I guess I need some money to live. Oh, I know. I know a guy that, that owes me, what does it say? It says that, that he owed him 100 denarii. That's three days' wages. And he shook him down for it. Started to choke him. Man, you need to pay, pay up. I need this money. And he couldn't, and so he had him thrown in prison. Jesus is painting a ridiculous picture here. Because the disciples would have heard this, the people standing around going, no one would ever do this. And, and he's saying, exactly. But you do. You do this. Because all of your sins, which my sins, I can't number. They're much too great that I've committed. And what I owe to God, so thanks be to Him for, for forgiveness. But I could probably tell you uh, and, and write down a list of, of uh, over the years, the people that I've struggled to, to forgive, right? People that have wronged me. Some of you might even have a list right now. You're like, I, I don't want to, I want to get out of here because I'm, it's starting to make me angry because I'm thinking about the people that I just want to punch, right? 
And Jesus is saying it's ridiculous. When your sin gets uh, against God, gets put up against what other people have done to you, that, that you wouldn't be able to show grace and mercy and forgiveness to them. For what's been shown to you? And you've shackled people with that weight. You've shackled yourself with that weight, and it's, it's killing them, it's killing you, and it's killing the body of Christ. Because we all know it, right? We all know when there are people who are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who, who, who've got a, an issue with each other. And if it doesn't get taken care of, what happens? It starts to divide because sides start to take place and people start to follow other people in different areas. And Jesus says, there is no room for that in the body of Christ. Do everything. Make every effort that you possibly can to, to form unity in the body of Christ. Unforgiveness is sin. Plain and simple. Jesus says, so in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until the debt could be repaid, which would be never. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I love that because in in this passage, we see the incredible grace and mercy of God. But we also get to see his anger at sin and as well as his judgment. It's not fun that we talk about it. I'm not one that, you know, I'm not one of those preachers that gets, you know, bloodthirsty for God's wrath. I I fear it for so many. But it's going to take place if if we don't get right with God and repent of our sin. So in His righteous anger and in His judgment, those who disobey Him will face that punishment. An eternal separation from him, but also because people always ask, so, okay, so, because I know the question. I've heard it so many times. So if I, if I choose not to forgive somebody and I am a believer, um, it, am I going to go to hell? Is that what this passage is saying? Look, Jesus said over and over again that if you do not forgive someone of their sin, how can the Heavenly Father ever forgive you? We need to take that seriously. It's even in his teaching on how to pray Right? He teaches the disciples, here's how you pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And, and if you look at this text, as Jesus finishes that prayer, the first thing is he makes a, he teaches as he comes out of the prayer, because I think he knows that as he's teaching the disciples to pray, that in their minds are like, whoa, 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 that's a hard one. And so Jesus' response is when he, when he comes out of that prayer, in, in, that, uh, in the Lord's prayer, is that he says, yeah, he says, if if you're unable to forgive someone, how will you ever expect your Heavenly Father to forgive you? But I think at the same time, I know that salvation is a free gift. It comes from God. It's not by works. But we as Christians, there are other consequences that we face that can be like this parable that we face hell on this earth when we harbor unforgiveness. Some of you are experiencing it right now. It's all you can think about. Is getting even, making it right, and you can't let this thing go. And I will tell you, you can't let it go. But the power of Christ in you will do that for you. You just need to surrender to it. Say, I I don't want to live life. I'm not in control. God, you can have it. But there are other consequences. Jesus promises you can have life and life abundant. You do not have life abundant if you harbor unforgiveness against people. 
Blessings from God will be withheld. Fellowship with God on a daily basis gets hampered as bitterness starts to build up and anger and rage and vengeance that rules our hearts. Luke 6, 37, Jesus said, Don't judge you'll, uh, and you will not be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Forgive greatly, forgiven greatly. Or what we should say is, because you're forgiven greatly, forgive greatly. When you look at what it is that Christ has done for you, you have no choice but to pour it out onto the lives of others. Uh, I would say that I don't believe that, I don't believe, it, it's Scripture tells us, you do not lose your salvation because you don't forgive people, but if you have a heart that is unwilling to forgive, the question is, did you even know Jesus in the first place? That's the question. Or have you just given Him lip service? Have you fully accepted that your sin is forgiven? And if so, the reaction to people, it might take time, trust that's been broken we know that there's things to process and you're like god but god go to work do something in me i I gotta let go of this thing and i can't and when we do it elevates the power of christ in our life if you struggle today with unforgiveness the call of peter second peter 3 says be diligent do whatever it takes to be found without spot or blemish and remember how patient god has been with you There are things that are hard to understand that Christ calls us to, but we're called to grow into it. And I'll add to Peter's words today by just saying, Jesus on the cross gave us the greatest example. He went to the cross as an innocent man that took the sin upon himself. And what were his final words? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let me just end with this today. when we lay out, uh, kind of as pastors, where we're, what we're going to preach through, we kind of have this calendar, but stuff happens and things get changed around, and so we never, it's never a specific day that we choose to preach something on, but today's a, uh, today is the time uh, for us uh, to cry out to God to help us to be uh, ones who can forgive. There are two major holidays uh, in, uh, two of the major holidays, I should say, in uh, Jewish culture. One is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is is uh, the beginning of a 10-day celebration for what is to come, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. When when the nation of Israel celebrates collectively, their sins are forgiven, that this sacrifice is made, blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. The goat is sent out into the wilderness to wander. We're reminded that sins are, are, are separated, that we're forgiven greatly. And so Rosh Hashanah is knowing you're leading up to this Day of Atonement, which is also the, the new year, the Jewish new year begins there, where you have a fresh new start with God. So you do, during the season of Rosh Hashanah, those 10 days, you go and find everybody that you can, that, that you've been harboring ill will toward, and you just let them know that you forgive them. Because you want to make things right. Because you want, when, the, when that final horn blows, the shofar on Yom Kippur, uh, that that you're starting a, a whole new way of life. Here's the really cool thing. Um, about 20 minutes ago, the sun began to set in the city of Jerusalem. And this moment, right now, there is celebration in Jerusalem of the beginning of Yom Kippur. And they cry out, today is the day of our salvation. Today is the day of our freedom. I want a fresh start. 
I want a new start, and I want it for all of us. And we want to celebrate it. I say all of that just for us to just say as followers of Christ, there is no better day than right now for you to leave everything behind that you've been holding on to and you just say, God, help me to forgive. Help me to let go because I can't do this anymore and it's killing me and it's killing my relationships and I know that it's not who you want me to be. There's an incredible greeting that that's taking place now as soon as that shofar has blown, that horn, that trumpet. Um, and, and it's because it's a holiday, and so usually, ah, it's a great day to celebrate, but, but Yom Kippur is, is, is really it's a, a somber holiday because we're reminded of what needed to take place in order uh, to, to have our sins uh, atoned for, right? At least in the, in the Jewish culture, is a reminder of, man, we, we're sinful, Yes, we're forgiven, but, but I'm, re- I'm relieved of all of that as well as I'm struggling with trying to let this go. And, and so y- you wouldn't walk around and go, hey, happy, happy Yom Kippur. You're like, yeah, it's, not, it's somber. And so the greeting kind of shortened uh, in the Hebrew language is gemar tov. And really what it means in its entirety is, is blessed are you that today you are reminded that your name is written in the book of life. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. How can we not forgive someone for what it is that they've done to us? I know for some of us it's really heavy. But, But wouldn't today be the best day for you to ask God to help relieve you of that weight? And he will, because he's already done it with the weight, the debt that we owed him. Jesus, thank you for who you are. You are our king. You are our savior. You are our Lord. God, thank you. You had so many different ways, because you're God, and you could have made any decision on how we needed to face up for our sin, and you chose to remove it from us and to put it onto your son. So, Father, my prayer is that, first of all, that today would be the day of salvation for somebody here who's never understood that, that their sins are forgiven, that they, they do not owe you uh, any debt because of what your Son has done. May they find that today. And for us that are followers of you, Father, forgive us. We know that it's because of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven when we are disobedient. But would you just then move in us to be able, God, Uh, to forgive those who have sinned against us. For your name, for your sake, for your church. Father, we give you praise. We love you. Amen.